Belva wasn't just any woman. She followed her own mind. One judge told her that God himself determined that women were not equal to men and never could be. What do three former car hops have in common? We, we all, all want, want a woman, woman president. president. I'm Paula. I'm Kathy. I'm Augie. Did you know there have been 59 presidential elections and 46 presidents? 137 women have run, 66 got their party nomination, and represented their party on the U.S. presidential ballot. And zero have been elected. Some have predicted it will be another 240 years before we see a woman president of the United States. Let's see if we can shorten that by, say, what, 234 years? And now, let's see how today's candidate impacted history. Today's episode is about Belva Lockwood, who ran for president twice. <laughs> Belva Lockwood was born October 24, 1830. She had a great sense of humor and was a health enthusiast who rode an adult tricycle when it was quite unusual for women to do so. And stated, quote, nothing was too daring for me to attempt, end quote. And also said she would seek place women in public offices, including the Supreme Court. She was born Belva Bennett in Royalton, New York, daughter of Lewis Johnson Bennett, a farmer, and his wife, Hannah Green. By age 14, Belva was teaching at the local elementary school. That must have been pretty common if you were a bright young girl then. She probably would have taught subjects that included reading, writing, and arithmetic plus history, grammar, rhetoric, and geography. Those were pretty common subjects in the 1800s. Rhetoric? Yeah, the art of effective or persuasive speaking and writing. Uh, that's not what we usually think of now when you hear the word rhetoric. Too true. <laughs> you know, she married in 1848. Yes, uh, Belva was 18 when she married a local farmer. He died of tuberculosis five years later just three years after their daughter was born. That's very sad. It is. And for Belva, it, it didn't take long for her to figure out that she needed to find a way to support her daughter and herself. So she did what any responsible person would do in that situation. She took some college prep classes. Wait a minute. I don't think that's exactly right. What, she didn't take college prep classes? No, 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 no. The part about being any responsible person, we're talking 1853. Belva would have gotten a lot of pushback from her friends and her family. True. Women didn't just go to college in the 1800s. Especially widows. Well, that's the point. Belva wasn't just any woman. She followed her own mind. She was determined and the administration at Genesee College in Northwestern New York was unable to resist her convincing argument. So they probably threw up their hands and agreed to enroll her. I'm not sure if they regretted their decision, but she did graduate with honors in 1857. That would have made her, what, about 27? Correct. And it wasn't long after that that she found a position as headmistress of Lockport Union School. Headmistress sounds like uh, the principal of the school. She must have been bringing in the bucks. Well, at that time, it didn't matter. 
if she was teaching or had an admin position, she was paid about half or less of what the men made, as were all other women. Yeah, so the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's just too true. And that didn't really sit well with her. She had developed an interest in law while she was in college and found a local law professor who offered private classes, which she took advantage of. She continued to work as an educator in New York State until early 1866. During that time, she met Susan B. Anthony, who influenced her educational philosophy and personal opinions on the rights and options that should be available to girls and women. Sort of what we would call equal rights? Indeed, those pesky things we're still fighting for. <laughs> Belva believed that was where the best opportunities were for her in the legal field. She was unafraid to rock the boat and opened a co-ed private school as she moved forward with her law studies. At that time, combining classes of boys and girls together was not common. Well, she was kind of a rebel all the way around, wasn't she? <laughs> Yay, Belva. <laughs> Is this about the time she met her second husband? Yes. In 1868, she married again, this time to an educated older man who embraced Belva's ambitions and treated her daughter, Laura, as his own. So when did she officially graduate from law school? Ah, that's a story in itself. The first law school she applied to rejected her because they thought she would be a distraction to the male students. Two steps forward, one step back. She found the new National University School of Law would allow her to enroll. She completed her courses in May 1873 and actually had to petition Ulysses S. Grant, the current US president, to force that law school to grant her her hard-earned diploma. He was a past president of the college, so he had a little sway. And would that be what is now known as the George Washington University Law School? Indeed, it would. Well, did she get a diploma? That would have made her one of the first female lawyers in the United States, is that correct? Exactly. She did get her diploma in September 1873, about a week after sending that letter to Grant asking for his help. But the fight didn't stop there. She had to fight to get admitted to the bar. After admitting her to the District of Columbia Bar, some of the judges told her they had no confidence in her. When she tried to get into the Maryland Bar, one judge told her that God himself determined that women were not equal to men and never could be. Um, yeah, women are still trying to overcome that opinion. Yes. <laughs> Even as Belva struggled against both social practice and the limited legal standing accorded women, her reputation as a good lawyer grew and as she won cases, and some of her detractors had to acknowledge her competence. And I take that to mean she was kicking ass. I take that to mean she was kicking ass too. <laughs> <laughs> I double that emotion. Yeah, so then from 1874 to 1879, she lobbied Congress to pass an anti-discrimination bill to have the same access to the bar as her male colleagues. Well, the law passed in 1879, and it was signed by President Rutherford B. Hayes. That was the law that allowed all qualified women attorneys to practice in any federal court, right? Yes, 
Belva Lockwood was then sworn in as the first woman member of the U.S. Supreme Court Bar on March 3rd, 1879. Late in 1880, Lockwood became the first woman lawyer to argue a case before the U.S. Supreme Court. She argued Kaiser v. Stickney and later U.S. v. Cherokee Nation. She fought for equal pay for women as well as the rights for Native Americans and Blacks. That was 140 years ago. Wow. Yes, wow. Yeah. In 1877, at the age of 47, Belva was widowed again. So Belva ran for president both in 1884 and 1888 and became the first woman to officially appear on a presidential ballot. She said, and I quote, I cannot vote, but I can be voted for, end quote. 4,129 votes were tallied for her, although there are reports that she received more than 6,100 votes, and she had ballot access in six states. Since most women couldn't vote, it was unusual that she received any votes. <laughs> the Atlanta Constitution warned male readers of the dangers of petticoat rule. Careful, oh, danger, well. danger. <laughs> I know. wonder what that was. Wink, wink. Uh, that's why Victoria Woodhull started her own newspaper. A woman with a vision. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. She knew what she had to do. Yep. Belva knew she didn't have a chance of winning and stated, I quote, I intend, if possible, to get up an electoral ticket for each state and thus get up, thus get up a grand agitation on the woman question, end quote. Yeah, we like agitation. Just wondering... How many states were there in 1884? Pretty sure there were 38 states and territories and a total of, um, I think, 100 and, no, I think 401 electoral votes. On January 12, 1885, Lockwood petitioned the United States Congress to have her votes counted. She told newspapers and magazines that she had evidence of voter fraud. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, not even a little bit. <laughs> Started way back then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Belva asserted that supporters had seen their ballots ripped up and that she had, quote, received one half of the electoral vote of Oregon and a large vote in Pennsylvania, but the votes in the latter state were not counted, simply dumped into the wastebasket as false votes, end quote. Ugh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, wow. never in. Mm -hmm. As a candidate, she outlined a 12-point platform, later refined and presented as 15 positions on a broad range of policy issues, including foreign affairs, tariffs, equal political rights, civil service reform, judicial appointments, Native Americans, protection of public lands, temperance, pensions, and the federalization of family law. Later in life, she served as a diplomat. Between 1885 and 1892, Belva Lockwood represented the United States at various international peace conferences and congresses held in various parts of Europe, including Geneva, Paris, Budapest, and Bern. And this is some of what history says about Belva. Lockwood was a well-respected writer. Lockwood also believed strongly in working for world peace. And she had a 43-year career as a lawyer. Amazing. 
communities were named in her honor, and the name Belva became popular for girl babies. At least three ship figureheads were carved in her likeness, and they are now located at Mystic Seaport in Mystic, Connecticut. In 1983, Lockwood was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. In 1986, she was honored by the United States Postal Service with a 17-cent Great American Series postage stamp. And then Belva died in Washington, D.C. on May 19, 1917, at the age of 86. Three years before, she had told a reporter that a woman might one day occupy the White House. It will be entirely on her own merits, however. No movement can place her there simply because she is a woman. And that concludes today's episode. We'd like to convey our immense gratitude and respect for the many women who have run for president. And to all the women, past, present, and emerging, who bring us closer to cracking the patriarchal system, we say thank you. We love to hear from you. You can join the growing group of A Woman President fans and let the Carhops know what's going on in your mind regarding the courageous women presented in this podcast. For comments, questions, show notes, and resources, or to just join our email list, visit our website, awomanpresident.com. We won't sell your information, and we only occasionally send out short and sweet updates. Thanks for listening, and thank you for recommending the podcast to your friends. Remember, you too can be a super spreader for our podcast. <laughs> This episode has been brought to you by Carhop Productions and edited by Paula McCollum. So until the next installment, our hope is that you will be inspired, be involved, be heard, and be kind. Ta-ta for now, the Carhops.